following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This evening's reading is taken from Exodus chapter 33, verse 12, to Exodus chapter 34, verse 10. I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bibles. I'll be using the NIV translation. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is here to come with you or to be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets 
like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried out the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came by in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favour in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us in your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi there, I'm Philip Plimming. Um, I'm a member of the congregation here at St Nick's. I'm also on the staff at St John's College at Cranmer Hall. And it's just great to be uh, with you this evening and sharing God's word with you as we come uh, to our final series, uh, our final sermon in the book of uh, Exodus. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that continues to speak down the ages to your people today. And Lord, we pray that as we reflect on the journey you took the people on in those days, you'd help us think about the journey you're taking us on today. Speak to us by your spirit, through your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The UK funded uh, wraparound uh, around the papers 10 days ago, kind of put it really clearly. The headline was this, all in, all together. All in, all together. And indeed, all together, we are writing a new chapter in the story of the United Kingdom each playing our different parts, some working on the front line to keep the NHS and essential services going, many staying at home and keeping things going as best we can, working and studying remotely, homeschooling and caring, but each contributing to a decisive chapter in our national story. It was to this that the Queen referred in her broadcast a few weeks ago when she said, and I quote, I hope in the years to come, Everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us will say the Britons of this generation were as strong as any. Of course, there are other stories where we are writing new chapters as well. Stories of our families and friendship groups, where we'll say in years to come, this is how we live through 2020 and COVID-19. We may recall new things we did together new technology we learned, times when we were scared, times when we laughed, all part of our story. 
And then there's the story of the human race, where by any measure, COVID-19 will take a chapter of its own. We may all uh, have heard people say from every walk of life, life will never be the same. A new chapter in the story of humankind is being written. Now, I don't want for one moment to underestimate the significance of all those stories being written at this time. But I do want us to invite us to come and enter a different story this evening, not to escape the story that we're writing, but enable us to come back to it with greater insight and faith. The story I'm inviting us to enter is the story of the Exodus, which has been the focus of the 6.30 service here at St Nick's over the past term. The story, this story of the escape of the Israelites from Egypt may feel like an old story, but it's the story of God and his people. And so it's part of our story, too. I remember interviewing Professor Larry Hurtado, the New Testament scholar at Edinburgh, about why he was fascinated with the early church of the first and second centuries. And remember, he said to me, well, these are my people. In other words, their story is my story. Well, the same is true uh, for the story of Exodus. This is a chapter of the story of God and his people. And so it's our story too. And tonight we come to the end, not to the end of the whole story, but to our sermons on the book of Exodus for the moment. And if we followed the story over the months, we'll have noted that the title of the book, Exodus, is actually not a full description of what the story is all about. We've seen that the story is not just about freedom from, but also freedom for. It's not just about freedom from Pharaoh in terms of the Exodus, the escape from Egypt. It's also about freedom for God, to live as God's people, reflecting the God who has saved them. Hence the place of the law in the story, as I explored a few weeks ago. The law is not there as a moral rule book to keep and secure God's favour. It's a framework for God's people to live within and to reflect the God who has loved them and saved them. Hence why the golden calf episode that Seth explored with us last week was just so tragic, so awful. It was the moment when the people rejected the God who saved them and worshipped an idol. It was the moment when it looked like the plan had failed. We pick up the story tonight in the aftermath of that episode. Uh, Moses is interceding for God's people in the light of the statement of the law that he will not go with his people, but will instead send an angel with them. Now, that was a hammer blow. As Moses knew, it was the Lord's presence that had made all the difference so far. Now, there's a lot going on in the verses, but if you have your Bibles open there, Exodus 33, I think verse 16 Summarise the situation really well. This is what it says. How will anyone know, Moses says, that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Now, note two things about Moses' questions. First of all, his concern is for God's people and not just himself. He sees himself as just the leader. It's God's people this is really about. Second, note that the concern is that the people will be distinguishable as God's people. 
that they will be distinct, to use another translation, from other people because God is with them. That's a reminder of what the Exodus story is all about. It's about God's people living out God's presence with them. But it's on another request of Moses, just a few verses later, that I want us to focus the rest of our time together this evening. Because as the Lord exceeds to Moses' request in verse 17, when he says, I will do the very thing that you have asked, Moses has a further request in verse 18. Very briefly, he says, now show me your glory, he asks. Now show me your glory. And this sets the scene for a remarkable dialogue and encounter that I want to look at under two headings this evening. First of all, God's glory requested. And secondly, God's glory revealed. First of all, God's glory requested. What is Moses meaning when he asks God, show me your glory? The word in Hebrew translated glory is actually a very specific one. It literally means weight. And it was used earlier on in Exodus to describe the burdens which the Israelite slaves were carrying as they made their bricks without straw. But it also means honour and worship, as if the person of substance and weight invites that response. It may be just because I've just finished Hilary Mantel's recent book on Thomas Cromwell, The Mirror and the Light, But I can't help thinking of Henry VIII here, someone who in his public appearance presents himself as someone of weight and deserving of honour. In jewels and fine clothes, Henry VIII wanted to be seen as glorious, inspiring worship. To have an audience with Henry VIII was to be invited into a place of awe and reverence, to encounter a man of power and gravitas. So when Moses is asking to see God's glory, we can think of him asking to see God at his most majestic and awe-inspiring. Perhaps because of the challenges ahead and the stiff-necked people whom it is Moses' call to lead, Moses wants to see God as he truly is, not refracted in a burning bush or a parted sea, but in all his glory, able to bear the weight of the hopes and fears of a nation. It is a petition for a transforming and sustaining encounter. That's God's glory requested. Second, God's glory revealed. How does God respond and reveal his glory? I think he does so in these verses in two ways. First, he reveals his glory partially. Look with me at verse 19. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That is the promise of encounter in sight and word and behaviour. God's glory will be seen in his goodness, in his promises and his character. But then the Lord carries on in verse 20. But you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And he carries on with a promise that he will hide Moses in the cleft of a rock so that only the Lord's back 
may be seen as he passes by. Therefore, the face, the most personal part of who God is, may not be seen by Moses. So this is glory revealed, but only partially. And secondly, the Lord reveals his glory individually. This revelation of God's glory is only going to be made available to Moses. Chapter 34 opens up with the Lord indeed speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai and passing by as he promised. But it's only Moses who sees him and hears him. Hence, later on in chapter four, it, it describes Moses' face shining because he's spoken with the Lord. But in front of the people, he'd wear a veil. So much was God's glory reflected through him. So, so Moses sees God's glory, but the people do not. Such is the story written in Exodus. But for us today, there were further chapters to be written of God's glory. And it's in seeing how this revelation is not the end of the story that I think we find greatest blessings today. For as the New Testament writers wrote about Jesus, they reached for this language of God's glory being revealed to Moses and used it to refer to God's revelation of his glory seen in Jesus Christ. It's almost like this was such a dominant story that they just sort of naturally turned to it by saying, and what has God done in Jesus? And as they did so, they saw two points of distinction with the revelation of Moses that I think we can draw out this evening. First, while God revealed his glory to Moses partially, in Christ he revealed his glory fully. Moses, you see, could not see God's face. But the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 that we, and I quote, have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In the face of Christ, we see God's glory. In a mouth that suckled independence on a mother's milk in ears that heard blind Bartimaeus' cry for help, in eyes that shed tears at the grave of Lazarus, in a blood-stained brow, stained with a crown of thorns. In Jesus we see God's face, not bedecked with jewels, but all the more majestic for it. It can seem a little odd when we're looking at medieval pictures of Jesus. Perhaps you've had this experience to see the attempts that the, the ancient artists had to make the face of Jesus shine, either as a baby in the manger or as a man um, at the Last Supper. Often there was a kind of golden halo added, uh, the full dinner plate effect, as a friend of mine used to call it. And it can look strange today, but it was an attempt by those painters to point to this truth, God's glory was seen in the face of Jesus Christ. God's glory was revealed in Christ, not partially, but fully. Secondly, while God revealed his glory to Moses individually, in Christ he does so universally. The revelation of God's glory in Jesus was not to one or two people, but to all the world. 
Hence the angelic choirs drawing attention of creation to the birth of Jesus. Hence the gospel writers bearing witness to Jesus throughout the ancient world. This revelation was for everybody. Hence why John wrote in his famous prologue, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. This is not a privileged few, but a revelation for the many. Not just to glorious saints, but miserable sinners. God's revelation of his glory in Jesus Christ is both full and universal. What a blessing that is. So it is that Charles Simeon, the great preacher from the 18th century, writes on these verses, and I'm just going to quote him. He says, We need not envy Moses. For great as his privilege was, it was not to be compared to ours. His eyes were gratified with a glorious sight, no doubt, and his mind was instructed with audible sounds. But he saw not the truths realised, nor did he fully comprehend the things revealed to him. But we have seen our God incarnate and have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Moses asked the Lord, now show me your glory, and his prayer was answered. A great chapter was written that day. But in Christ, God's glory has been revealed more fully and more universally than we ever dared hope. It was a greater chapter still. Now back to our stories the chapters that we are writing in this moment and season. I would suggest that of all the stories that we find ourselves in at the moment, the national, the family, the community, the global, the most important story that we are part of is the story of God and his people. The God who made and loves the world and calls the people to love and follow him. That is the story of our beginnings, and it's a story of our endings too. It's a story which holds all other stories because nations and families and communities are all in God's hands. So what might these reflections on God's glory reveal to Moses and to us in Christ have to speak to us about playing our part in God's story today? As we finish, just let me share two thoughts. First, we are invited to worship the God whose glory we have seen in Jesus Christ. When the Lord passed by and spoke to Moses, it says in, in chapter 34, verse 8, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Such is the response invited from all who see the glory of God in the face of Christ. This Easter season, we are called to lift our eyes from the very real challenges around us and look afresh at the beauty, the passion, the sacrifice, the victory, the sin-bearing, death-defeating and evil-vanquishing weight and glory of Jesus Christ. For as Paul saw in the face of Christ the glory of God, he found himself later on in the same chapter in 2 Corinthians 4, writing these words. 
Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Tonight, we're invited to see afresh the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Will you look? Will you see? Will you worship? Second, we're called to reflect the God whose glory we have seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Called to worship and we're called to reflect. We've noted that the goal of the Exodus story is that God's people live out God's character to a watching world. That goal was not changed but affirmed in the ministry of Jesus Christ and his calling to the church. We are called to be all that God announced himself to be to Moses on that mountain and all that he showed himself to be in Jesus Christ. Compassionate, gracious, loving, faithful, forgiving, just. Now, it may be that your watching world is simply one other person that you live with. It may be that your watching world is people you are serving with on the front line. Wherever it is and whatever you are doing, we can pray that in our actions we will point to the God whose glory was seen not in jewel encrusted robes, but a crown of thorns, whose kingly status was validated not in violence, but sacrifice. That remains the calling of God's people in this season, as we play our part in the stories where God has called us. The story of God's people continued through the desert, and God did indeed go with them. Our story continues through terrain that might appear at times similarly harsh. But the God whose glory we have seen in Jesus Christ is the God who's promised to walk with us as we seek to reflect his glory to a watching world. May he and we do so. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.